So Matthew 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. Well, I want to start off with a question. How many of you are second generation, second generation Christians here? Second generation meaning that you were born into a Christian family. Or when you were young, your parents uh, became Christians. Quite a few, but not too many. So I suppose many of you are first generation Christians, just like me and my wife, Jinjin. You know, over the years I noticed that uh, first generation Christians and second generation Christians are quite different. They ask different questions. When I was young, uh, after I finished my trials, uh, but before, uh, uh, just before I was uh, doing my HSC, I felt uh, this kind of uh, emptiness inside. So I started going to church, searching for the meaning, purpose, uh, answer in life. Uh, at that time, what I had, uh, my sister, my brother, they were already Christians. I always argue with them. I ask a lot of questions uh, from uh, with them. And um, my, my key question was really, um, was Christianity real? Was uh, Jesus Christ real? Uh, is it true? Because I only want to believe something that is true and something that is, uh, that is, uh, that is real. But then after 10, 15 years later, in fact, my, I asked my wife the same question yesterday and I asked her uh, what was the reason for her to go to church and she simply said she just wants to get to know uh, God more. Uh, but 15, 20 years later, when I have two, my, uh, two daughters and they were uh, teenagers, I asked them the same questions. Uh, I think they, at the time, they already returned uh, to Sydney. So as a teen, my elder daughter said to me, basically, that um, she wants to know whether Christianity is real, whether it's genuine. Um, and I asked her why. And she said, because... I asked her, what do you think of Christianity? Or what do you think of the church that you have been all your life? Because she's a second generation Christian. And she said, I think a lot of Christians are quite hypocritical. Just imagine if you were me in a position, you would be thinking, oh, was she talking about me? <laughs> but uh, I think there's a difference between a, a modernist or modernistic thinker and a postmodernistic thinker. If you are in this generation, I think you are the later type. You really want to know whether you can feel God, whether it's genuine or whether it's just fake, it's just a show. Uh, I know that, uh, well, I've been told that you have been uh, doing this uh, series on Sermon on the Mount in the past uh, several months. So I asked, I'm not going to say who, but uh, can you still remember if somebody, if somebody asked you, what is uh, the Sermon of the Mount about? What would you say? I'll give you a hint, an easy hint. Somebody say, it's about Jesus. <laughs> it's always right. You can't, be say, you can't say that, oh, it's wrong, it's not about Jesus. 
The whole Bible is about Jesus. Old Testament is about Jesus. New Testament, Jesus, of course. Why do you go to church? About Jesus. But is that the right answer? It's too simplistic. But uh, we get away with it sometimes. And so you may be thinking, oh, since it's about Jesus, it will be the same, same talk, same thing about Jesus. I can stop like uh, daydream for a while, for 20, 30, 40 minutes. But let me tell you, it is not really about Jesus. Jesus, this is uh, Jesus' first recorded sermon in the very first book of the New Testament. And you have four Gospels, right? Four Gospels. The difference between them, mm, uh, basically with the first one, which is the book of Matthew, the target audience is, very, is the Jews. So it's very Jewish. If we translate it to today's terms, the target audience is us. Christians here. I suppose most of us are Christians here. But some of us, you may be still seeking faith. And you're asking, how come all these Christians come to church every week? And you may be skeptical about Christianity. You may want to know whether it's real or not. In fact, you may be a Christian and you may be asking the same same thing. You may be thinking, oh, Christianity is also very fake and hypocritical. Then today, this passage is for you. The whole sermon on, on the mount is for you. So um, I've been asked to do this concluding part on the sermon on the mount. It's not easy, um, but I'll try my best. Uh, I suppose what I'm going to do is to give you a brief summary of what the sermon on the mount is about. Since, as I said, it's not just about Jesus, a bit, a bit more. In, in brief, you can say that, uh, as I said, uh, Matthew is very Jewish. So at the time, the Jews or the Israelites were expecting uh, the coming of the Messianic King, which is the survive the Savior. In today's term, uh, we don't know much about kingship, or we don't have any concept of the of the kings. So what we, we say is our Lord, right? So Lordship of Christ. Um, Matthew begin Matthew begins with a genealogy of. Um, of uh, Christ, Jesus Christ, uh, but this genealogy is very special because it, it is basically about uh, a genealogy of the kings, starting from Abraham, then to David, then to exile, and then to Christ. But you'll notice that the first king saw uh, wasn't there. It starts with uh, in the middle section. It starts with David from Abraham. So obviously, if you go back to the Old Testament, it's about the Old Testament promise. The covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. Under that covenant, you have the Davidic covenant. It's about the coming king. It's about the coming Lord. Why? What's the purpose? Why? Why did they? Why did they wait for this coming king? It's very clear uh, from the name of Jesus, uh, one twenty-one. The name of Jesus, Joseph was told, uh, he is to save his people from their sins. Jesus means he was to save his people from their sins. Uh, interesting. The Israelites, the Jews at that time, first question, do you think they think that they will be entering into the kingdom of heaven? If you were Jews in the first century, do you think, if you ask anyone on the streets in Jerusalem, ah, do you think you'll be going into the heaven? What do you think they will say? A definite, of course, 
Of course, we will be going. It's only maybe the the Samaritans or maybe the、uh, Gentiles、uh, they are outside the kingdom. But of course, we are in the kingdom. All we need to do is to wait for the coming King, the Messianic King. Then we will be right. Just like today, most Christians, if you ask them, where will you be after you die? Most Christians will say, Ah,、oh, I think I will go to heaven. Of course, I will go to heaven. Who will not go to heaven? Those who do not believe. It's a simple answer. Is that? That's why John the Baptist,、uh, the one who was uh, 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 written in the Old Testament, that the coming King will be preceded by a prophet who will be crying out in the desert, saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near." Interesting. So there's something for the Israelites who think that they will be going to the kingdom, who think that they are so righteous that these people, exactly these people, they will have to repent. Otherwise, they may not be able to go into the kingdom. For to, in today's term, the message is this: Do not think that you are Christian, then you are going to heaven. Do not think that you are Christian, then you are going to heaven. But you may say, "Oh well, Pastor Devon, are you preaching heresy here?" The passage is very clear. Not only for John the Baptist, Jesus Himself, before the Sermon on the Mount, His first sermon, also recorded in His saying in、uh, chapter three, also more or less saying, "Repent, for the kingdom is." Here, chapter three, verse seventeen. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So, for the Jews, for the very religious people, for the Israelites, for the Jews, they will have to repent. For us Christians, if we want to go to heaven, we have to repent. But are we saved? What do we have to repent for? I've, I've repented my sins. Isn't that enough? I have faith. Isn't that enough? Of course, the answer is. That is not enough. I'm not preaching a kind of、uh, word salvation or word right work righteousness, because in the part in the Bible, in the whole Sermon on the Mount, you will see that it begins with the beatitude, describing what kind of people will be in the kingdom of heaven, but doesn't tell you how you can get in. But it is clear before the Sermon on the Mount, if you go back to John the Baptist. What, what, what happened was that John the Baptist was baptizing with water, calling out people to repent. And then in chapter three, verse seven, he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing. He said to them, "You brood of vipers, who want you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance." And do not think you can say to yourself, "We have Abraham as our father." I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. But I baptize you with water for repentance. After me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with 
expire. So basically, what John is saying, every one of you have to repent. All Israelites have to repent. All Christians will have to repent because there are two kinds of Israelites and there are two kinds of fire. One kind of Israelites, they repent, just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They come to John for water baptism. So obviously, they are going to repent. But John said, no, go away. Because by merely repenting is not good enough. If your repentance produces no fruit, you will be burned with unquenchable fire. But another kind of fire with the Holy Spirit and with fire then your repentance will produce fruit so in today's term Christians all of us are Christians including myself particularly myself if you say I have faith isn't faith all that is required no as with uh, the book of James unless your faith produces good works otherwise it's all rubbish you are going to burn in hell again so not just by faith it's what kind of faith not just repentance it's what kind of repentance repentance that produces fruit or repentance that does not produce fruit very clear the audience Israelites people of God today the audience Christians who think that they have faith and that's it they're going to hell or Christians who have faith and that kind of faith produces fruits so nice and clear. That sets the tone for the Sermon on the Mount. Why? After the first bit on the Beatitude, it goes to the salt and light. Obviously, two metaphors. The salt without saltiness. What good is it? To be only good for thrown away and trampled by men. Same as light. If you have light, but you are the light lamp is hidden under the table, what good is it? It doesn't, it doesn't show any good. What good is it if you have faith, but you don't, your faith doesn't produce any fruits? What kind of fruits are they talking about? It's the kind of righteousness. The kind of righteousness that God wants. And what do you mean by righteousness? In simple terms, God's will be done. So the question is, for those Christians here, you claim, you proclaim, you confess that you have faith. What kind, of faith that, what kind of faith you have? In Singapore, we have, uh, there's a very famous pastor called Edmund Chen. You know him, right? He's very, uh, he has a very famous book called uh, a, 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 a Different Kind or something like that. So basically, it's not about whether we are Christians or not. It's about what kind of Christians we are. It's not about whether we are going to preach others the gospel, share others the gospel. But what kind of gospel are you preaching to them, sharing with them. Faith without a transformative, transformative life is going to get you to hell. And then, moving on, uh, in Sermon on the Mount, the fulfillment of the law. Jesus Christ himself, he was the one who fulfilled all righteousness. That's why he has to be baptized by John. And then, when, this, when Satan comes and tries to tempt him in chapter 4, he fulfilled all righteousness. He did not do anything wrong or unpleasing to God. And then back to the Sermon on the Mount, the fulfillment of the law. Basically, you see a series of 
commands or explanations about the laws. Oh, I can't really remember. There are too many. I can't remember. But in Jis, you can go through them with your Bible in hands. There are 12 of them. The first six of them is about what the law say. It's about what the law say. But before I talk about these 12 uh, illustrations or examples, chapter 520 is important. Because chapter 520 precedes these 12 examples. For I tell you, Jesus said, for I tell you that, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Two kinds of people, two kinds of righteousness, two kinds of outcomes. Both of them have righteousness. But this kind of righteousness is different than that kind of righteousness. The Pharisaic kind of righteousness, the kind that they practice, they will not uh, 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 bring them or take them to heaven, to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the other kind of righteousness, the other kind that surpasses the Pharisaic righteousness, then those kinds, people with those kind, those kind of righteousness can go to the kingdom of heaven. So again, today, you have two kinds of Christians. Both repent. One repents with fruits, one repents without fruits. Both have faith. One, the faith produces fruit, the other, faith doesn't produce fruits. So these 12 examples, you can see with each one, you have two sides. The Pharisaic side and the higher standard, the higher righteousness. For example, the first six is about things that the law, the law tell you not to do, prohibited in nature. First one, murder. So basically, Christians are easy to do. You just follow the letters of the law. Just the letters of the law. You say, do not murder. None of these Pharisees or seducers, they murder. How many of you, how many of you are murderers here? Wonderful. So we are all righteous. For a safe kind of righteous. Because none of us murders or kills. But the higher demand, the higher kind of righteousness said, but I tell you that, verse 21, I tell you that, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. So the key question is, you have faith. But is your kind of faith allows you to have angry, seated deep inside, rooted in your heart, that you are always angry about some people, always jealous about what they have, you want to step behind people's back. When you go to work, you want to spat mouth them, things like that. It's just like you're killing them. You may as well kill them. Murder. Adultery. The letters of the law say, oh, it's, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Brothers and sisters. Because both brothers and sisters can look at the opposite sex, or nowadays sometimes the same sex, or same gender, lustfully. When you watch some TV series, or I don't know, uh, Bachelor, Bachelorette, would you have the temptation to look at them lustfully? Yeah, you don't commit adultery. 
you have no premarital sexual intercourse or you're faithful to your wife. But that's just observing the letters of the law. That is the Pharisee kind of righteousness. You have to go beyond that. What's in your heart? The next one, divorce. According to letters of law, it's okay for you to divorce as long as you give your wife a certificate of divorce. But the higher demand is that you should not even divorce her unless it is for marital unfaithfulness. Same with making oath. You should not be sparing. Instead, instead, say things truthfully. An eye for an eye. You should not mistreat others. For the Pharisees, they say it's okay for you to mistreat others because they find a loophole in law. It's okay for you to mistreat others as long as others mistreat you. An eye for an eye. Isn't that fair? Is that fair? An eye for an eye. Do you think it's fair? You may think it's fair. But the essence of the law is that even your enemies, you will have to love. Because it's not up to you to, to, to deliver punishment. It's the God's prerogative. So the, the first six parts all deal with what we are trying to do. As Christians, what we can do is, we have not done this, we have not done that, so we are righteous. No, if you are that kind of people, you have to repent. Because they are not talking about the letters of the law. They are talking about the essence of the law. The spirit behind the law. They are talking about the will of God. Because God looks at your heart and your motivation. And then the other six parts. Giving to the needy. Praying. Fasting. I will talk about uh, these three first, okay? Uh, how many of you fast? How many of you ever fast? Good, but not too many. You can say fasting is the represent, rep, representative of a religious act. Oh, when you fast, you, you look so holy. Or when you pray, particularly when you pray publicly, you look so holy. Don't you think? When you step out and you pray publicly, people sitting will think, oh, well, look so holy. But that's precisely the kind of prayer that God doesn't want. Because if you pray in public, if you help people in public, if you fast and let people know that you haven't been eating for so long, then you have your reward. But it's not genuine, is it? It's just a show. It's a facade. It's a religious act. And I tell you, who are the best religious actors in the world? Not non-Christians. They don't know how to act. They don't know how to pretend to pray nicely, elegantly. Only Christians. And only Christian leaders. When Christian leaders come out, they pray oh, so elegantly, full of, you know, big words. And all of us, what? We imitate. We imitate to be like a religious, religious leaders, The best way to imitate is what? To become one. So you climb up the ladder, the religious ladder, to become a ministry team member, and then a leader, 
and then maybe you go to study, and then maybe a deacon, maybe a pastor, maybe a lecturer, and now uh, in a church, you may take short-term missions here and there, and everybody think of you as a hero, a religious hero. Yes, you have the righteousness. But this kind of righteousness will burn you in hell because it's not pleasing to God. Because why? God looks at your heart and see your motivation. You do all these religious acts for who? For others to see, for others to praise you. Inside, you did not even think for a bit. What would God say to you when you do all these kind of things? It's just a show. Every time you come out, it's another show. You are a showman, the greatest showman on earth or at church. And then treasures in heaven and do not worry and judging others. So what are they, in fact? Treasures in heaven, in fact, is really saying that the the Pharisaic kind of righteousness, they say, ah, ah, God is my master, God is my Lord, I serve him and him alone. Secretly, he's climbing up the corporate ladder. He's accumulating great mass. He's serving two masters. The master, God, and the master, money, reputation, fame, success. How many of us, if you you ask, are doing just that? Uh, Only people who go to Prosperity uh, Gospel Church. No, many of us here do just that. We serve two masters, if you really think about it. Of course, I'm not saying that, oh, can, can't Christians be rich? No, I'm not saying that. You can be rich. No problem. No, can Christians be successful? Of course you can be successful. You can be a CEO. You can be a partner of a law firm. Or a great specialist. Yeah. That's not a problem. The problem is, who is your real master? And do not worry. Many, many say, ah, oh, I'm a Christian. I trust in the Lord. In the next moment, they worry. And what do they worry? They worry about their material possessions. They worry about the financial security. Yet they say, I trust in the Lord. And all this, there's an element of hypocrisy. And that's what Christ Jesus has been saying in the Sermon of the Mount. Two kind of Israelites. The one who will go to hell and will be burned by the unquenchable fire. The one is being burned by the fire of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, that their life is transformed. Therefore, you have to repent. So the first lesson in Christianity is not to know, but to repent. So now here's a question, brothers and sisters. How many of you are guilty of the sin of hypocrisy? As I said, only the Christians, they are expert in the sin. I heard once, a pastor saying, or preacher saying that the pastors are best in this game. They are best in getting away with hypocrisy because they do it so well. They are the best performer. They fool everybody. And then all the church leaders, they follow suit. So if I ask you, are you a hypocrite? Do you have to repent for your, for your hypocrisy? Will you raise your hand or would you not? It's a trick question. Think about it. If you say, no, I don't think I'm a hypocrite. The very moment you say that, then you don't need to repent. 
then your repentance is just superficial. Then you are going that way, brother and sister. You're going that way. Judging others. Judging others. Many of us, if you are parasite kind of righteousness, uh, righteous, then what you do is you go to church and you look at brothers and sisters and you pick out their faults and their sins, what they've done wrong and so on and so forth. You are highly critical of others. Are you highly, criti- highly critical of others? Then you are. You better repent. Am I highly re- critical of others? Yes, sometimes I am. That's why I have to repent. Because the different kind, the higher kind of righteousness demands that you be critical of yourself. You be critical of yourself. And because you are not, you have to repent. And that's why it comes to the last part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus moves on to give three, two alternatives. But he uses three parables or metaphors to describe these two alternatives. The narrow gates, the wide gates. The good tree and the bad tree. And today's passage, the wise builder and the foolish builders. They all have one thing in common. The narrow gate, it leads to destruction. Ah, sorry. (laughs) The narrow gate, it leads to eternal life. (laughs) You're all awake, huh? That's good. The wide gate, it leads to destruction. The good tree, it leads to life. The bad tree, it leads to destruction. The wise builder, it leads to life. The foolish uh, builder, it leads to destruction. But what do you mean by good tree? What do you mean by wise builder? What do you mean by narrow gate? You look at the results, look at the fruits. It's so obvious. It is not about Jesus, please. It's easy to say everything is about Jesus because this is so superficial. A teaching and so superficial a teaching to teach others. Because you don't have to pay a price to say that, oh, Jesus is my Lord. You don't have to pay a price, at least here in Australia, at least now. You may have to pay a price in some totalitarian country, but not here. So it's pretty cheap. But the real test is, how is your life transformed? Inside, privately, secretly. That's the challenge. Because nowadays, Christian life is very public. What kind of Christian you are? Is for others to see. But Christ turned upside down. Christ see how you act privately and inwardly how you think. So, oh, Pastor Devon, or I myself, I really have to repent. I have been a hypocrite for all my life. All I'm concerned is how pious I am, how a religious leader, the kind of acts I act out to for others to see. That's what I've been doing in the past 10, 20, 30 years because I may be a second generation uh, 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 Christians. I know everything about Christianity. In a Bible study group, in a cell group, I can give you the best answer because I'm so knowledgeable. But the question you have to ask yourself is, are you burned with fire? The fire of the Holy Spirit. Do you have that experience that you have been transformed? That now, inside you, Christ is your Lord. So what's the remedy other than 
uh, repenting. That what, how can I get the kind of repentance that produces fruit? How can I get the kind of faith that produces fruit? I really want to get it because I don't want to go to hell after going to church for 30, 40, 50 years. I really want to go to hell and be burned. I want to have a fruitful life now. The answer, the key, is in chapter 7, verse 7 to verse 12. Ask, seek, and knock. So what do you ask? You basically ask for the will of God. That goes back to the prayer. You seek His will, you seek His kingdom. That's why you ask, you seek for God's will. Basically, you seek for the Holy Spirit to be upon you. Because all these are external. You can only ask, but ultimately it's, it's God who can give. God can give you the Holy Spirit, baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and God can give you the kind of repentance, the kind of faith that produces fruit. So this kind of righteousness is not self-induced. It's not superficial. It's not a time that you can act out. It is from inside, and at the same time, it's from external. Somehow, I don't know how. It's just from outside. People ask me, how come you don't, you, you quit your uh, legal job, you quit your everything in Hong Kong, and then return here to study theology? I said, I can't explain to you. It's like, I just have to do it. Why? Because I cannot run away. Why? Because this, this external voice saying to me, this is what you have to do. To, you don't want to follow me. If you want to follow me, you follow me. But then there will be a price to pay and you have to do it with, action, in, with actions. But the key of today's passage is do not think that you are a Christian leader. Do not ever think that because you are a Christian leader, because you are involved in Christian ministry for so many, many years. You spend so much time in church that your repentance produces fruits, that your faith produces fruit. Why? Christ is very concerned about this issue because they're afraid that you will be saying something like that. That's why in verse 21 it said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Some people, they say Lord, Lord easily. They can even prophesize in, in the Lord's name. And also they can even drive out demons with such spiritual power. They can even perform miracles. It's a bit like today, you may be a preacher. You can preach and people say, Oh, you are such a wonderful preacher. And you can share with people and say, Oh, your sharing is so inspiring. And you can serve as a deacon for 10, 20 years. Oh, you founded the church. These are all in Christ's eyes useless you are all evil doers how can i be called evil doers by my lord if i've commit all my life at church because you're not doing it for him no not doing it for his will because of his will it's all self-induced it's all a great act and on this note i really wish that all of us will have to listen to this sermon by Christ very, very carefully. He's speaking to us, all of us, who say we are Christians, who profess, Lord, Lord, I'm sinful. 
He's saying it to all of us, particularly to all of us who think we are so righteous, who think that I'm better than others, who think that if anyone is going to heaven, it has to be me, who think that because I have so much to show for, on my list of resume, I've done so much in church services. When you go into a seminary, some seminaries they'll ask you to produce a kind of uh, fact sheet about what kind of uh, ministries you have done. So imagine what kind of ministries can you put on on this on a sheet like that? Uh, I was a cell group leader, praise team, pianist. Mm, nice, mm, nice. I can think of something. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. Throw this into the fire. This is exactly the wrong kind of mindset, and avoid and don't don't teach others. It's going to kill you, because in the end, one day when we come to judgment seat, you say, "Oh Lord, Lord, I've done so much. Look, look at this. <laughs> look at this. I have another sheet, and another one." And he will say, "I don't know you. You're doing all this for yourself." It's a show. So my question for myself is that while I'm preaching, while I'm saying things here, is there a show? Am I just doing a show? And that's why it's so hard. Because who tell? Who can tell whether you're doing a show or not? You still lead your prayer. You still lead a a a inspiration. You still go to short-term mission. Who can tell? But you yourself, you can tell. You just want to meet that standard, or want to go beyond. You rely on yourself, or you rely on Holy Spirit. You you listen to His voice day in and day out, in secret, in private. How genuine is your faith? Ask yourself, how genuine is your faith? And do you, do not use your ministry experience to cover up the dark side. The hypocrisy. So let's pray, dear Lord. We come to you and we confess our sins, for we have been hypocritical in many, many areas. But today, thank you for your message. It's loud and clear for all of us. We have something to think about. But thank you, Lord. You died for us on the cross, and you have sent the Holy Spirit uh, upon those who are willing to ask you. To seek you and to knock on the door of the uh, kingdom of heaven, please help us not only just to be a hearer of your words, but to really practice. And also, when we practice, we don't practice in public, but we also practice in private. And we do not we rely on our own strength because we know that this is just self-induced righteousness, and we have to rely on uh, the word of Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord. We pray all this in your name. Amen.